Thanks for joining us today for the Post-Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. Season 3 has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. And today I am excited to introduce you to Dana Humphrey. Hi, Dana. Hey, Jill. It's good to have you here. Where are you talking to us from? From Rockaway Beach in Queens, New York. Very good. Very good. Let me tell you a little bit about Dana. Dana is a respected life coach, publicist, mentor, and a teacher. She started a successful PR company for pet product manufacturers in 2007 and has been guest on TV stations across the country from NBC to CBS to ABC and Fox News as the pet lady. She received her BS from San Diego State University in public relations and political science. After moving to New York City, she has been a professor a professor of luxury marketing at Baruch College and facilitator and adjunct professor of the pet product. Did I get that right? Pet product yep. marketing program at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. Dana has studied Bikram yoga, shamanic breathwork, meditation, vipassana, latihan, religion, spirituality, plant medicine, and pets. She has also completed the New York City Marathon, New York City Triathlon, and a half Ironman. Dana was born in Canada, raised in London, England, and grew up in Northern California. She identifies as a global citizen and resides in Rockway Park on the beach in Queens with her two adopted cats, Chance and Sassy. So I have a question for you. How do you go from life coach and publicist to pet product manufacturing? <laughs> so, um, you know, yeah, thank you for uh, sharing my robust bio. I've done a lot of things. Yes, you have. Um, I still do a lot of things. But um, basically, um, my public relations company um, specialized in the pet industry. So all of our clients were pet product manufacturers. Okay. So, um, yeah, on that journey, you know, I created a trade show and created a personality as the pet lady um, around that. Okay, great. And are there any specific pets that you uh, were more comfortable working working with and working for? I mean, I'm a, I, I was always a smushed face dog person. So <laughs> growing up, I had a pug named Winston. And then um, usually when I would do TV segments, I would invite um, local dogs or adoptable dogs. And I would usually try to get a Frenchie or a smushed face dog. Um, they're just very malleable and they're very good for TV because they don't, they're not as hyper as other breeds. Oh, okay. You know, kind of like sit them down. They just kind of like stay there for a little while and it, it works out. So interesting to me how different breeds are such different temperaments and are kind of predictable for certain kinds of temperaments. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, I just give, 
I did give a French bulldog a mud bath once on TV live and um, the dog jumped out of the the bucket and started doing like, you know, crazy laps around (laughs) us. And it was pretty funny. Was there mud everywhere? Luckily we had just put the water. So the mud was not yet everywhere. Yeah. Oh, nice. So how did you get involved in political science? What was your interest there? Yeah, I used to be really interested in political science and, um, you know, I still, um, like to work the election polls. Um, that's really my only involvement around, uh, now, but, um, yeah, I used to, uh, work with different campaigns and, um, you know, help out however I could either going door to door or making phone calls and doing the phone back bank. Um, I used to have a radio show called who controls what, you know, and so I was very involved in kind of educating people about, um, you know, politics and media and the intersection of those. But um, that was a long time ago. And since then, I feel like there's, you know, there's a lot of information out there now. Yeah, there's a lot of we have access to so much, right? It's just, um, it's overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about yoga. I love yoga. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm a hot yogi person. Um, I do, I practice hot yoga every single morning and I'm actually going to hot yoga teacher training in a couple of months. So I'm very excited to, um, continue my practice and, um, be able to offer that as well. What is the benefit of hot yoga versus other practices? So, I mean, for some reason, hot yoga really speaks to me. You know, I, I've uh, throughout my life, I've practiced um, other types of yoga. And whenever I discovered hot yoga, it just kind of clicked for me and I started becoming a regular Um you know, I love the heat. I believe that it's, you know, really the, the reason I started, um, going regularly was the Kabbalah Bhati breath at the end, mm-hmm. um, the fire. Is that um, the lion read, breath? Yeah, exactly. The lion's breath. I had read, you know, just, I'd read a lot of, um, benefits of doing that every single day. And, um, I found that the structure of going to a class and having that, you know, just part of my day, I just thought it was a really good practice. It's interesting now because, um, you know, since the pandemic, that's the only thing um, that's taken out of the series. So we call it 26 and two. It's 26 postures plus two, you know, breath things. The first one is an opening breath. And then the last one is the Kabbalah Bhati. And um, in New York, uh, we're not allowed to do Kabbalah Bhati in studio because of the mm-hmm. pandemic. So that's actually what got me to start going every day. And now it's like not even part of it. (laughs) Um, So I discovered yoga. This might have some intersection in in your work. I discovered yoga when I was a resident in a mental hospital. And in in the psych hospital, it was, uh, there were different things, Tai Chi, yoga, different 
different things that you could do, but that's when I first discovered it. And that practice became, um, uh, I used to be better about it. I'm terrible about it right now, but that practice was very healing for me and not just healing, but connecting my mind with my body and what was happening in my body and figuring out how to, um, gauge and measure those things. Um, it was really, it was really a powerful tool for me. Yeah. I, I really think that, you know, within one hour of my day, you know, I can sweat, I can breathe, I can meditate, you know, you have Shavasana at the end where you can just completely relax, get the, get that meditation in there, clear your mind, um, and get that sync of the mind, body, spirit. And there's not a lot of practices that do that. No, I used to be an athlete and focus on the body and I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm interested in linking all three of these, um, you know, systems up. Do you still run? No, no. (laughs) Cause you've, you've conquered some, some big feats in your, in your running. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I used to, um, you know, I was a, I was a soccer player for many, many years. I played soccer for about 20 years and then I started, um, getting injured. Um, and as an entrepreneur, as a young entrepreneur, I just couldn't afford to get injured playing soccer. So I started running in one direction and then I started doing marathons and then I started doing triathlons and then I started doing farther distances like the the half Ironman. And eventually, um, I, I just didn't find it to be nourishing for my body. I found, I found it to be hard on my joints and now really, you know, I prefer like more fluid, natural movements. Like Mm -hmm. I, yoga. I like to dance. I like to walk, you know, just, um, not so much pushing myself, um, to do things that are uncomfortable, but really to incorporate fitness in my life. That's, you know, more, um, more fun, really. Yeah. Not so hard, not so much impact on my joints. Yes, definitely. Well, let's back up a little bit and, um, share a little bit about yourself, kind of your growing up. You mentioned you grew up in, in, uh, California and, and in New York or in Europe. And so tell us a little bit about your life. Well, I was, uh, I was born in Canada and then I moved to London, England, and I grew up there um, going to preschool and kindergarten. And my little sister was born there. And then we moved to California and um, California in the Cal in California, we lived in the Bay area and it was a great place to grow up. It was very safe. And um, then I went to San Diego state university And um, after I graduated from there, I started working in the pet industry. Um, Also, our uh, family pug, Winston, moved in with me. Uh, My parents moved to Thailand. And so Winston moved from Northern California to San Diego with me to um, live out his last couple of years. And I got a job at Metropolis and I was doing all their PR and marketing. It was a small five-store pet boutique chain. And then I quit. And uh, moved to New York City and um, moved to New York City for a job. Uh, Two months later, I got laid off. And that was in the fall of 2008, which some 
some of you may remember was a bit of a financial crisis. And right. that's when I started my PR firm. In the middle of a financial crisis. <laughs> <laughs> You're and, brave. You know, it was all, you know, I'm really grateful for all of it. I never would have moved to New York City. Um, I, it wasn't even on my radar. I, I you know, um, the job really got me to come here and and the job wasn't working out very well. It was kind of a blessing that they let me go. And, um, you know, honestly, um, I got, I got laid off on a Thursday and on Friday I called, I made three phone calls and just saying, Hey, you know, I think I'm going to go full-time doing public relations. Um, if you know anybody, what do you think? And all three of the people that I called hired me and, um, I started and, you know, I was, uh, 25 years old. I was living in an apartment in Brooklyn with a bunch of other, two other people. And I had, um, no desk, you know, I had my college laptop and, um, I eventually, I found a desk and I, that's how I started working. And I, you know, I just made it happen and started networking like crazy. And, um, you know, uh, really kind of carved out a niche in the, in the pet space, doing public relations in that area and going to all the trade shows. And, um, and then, um, eventually, um, during the pandemic, I was actually, um, flying to Guatemala to do a retreat and I ended up living there for three months so I flew to Guatemala on March 14th and, um, I was the last flight that arrived in the country. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I ended up living with 11 other people in a house on a lake, um, and really had, you know, some time and some, some pause to, um, and being in nature to really think about what I want my life to be like. And, um, I shaved my head and I made a commitment to myself to not be a marketer anymore and to really use my life force energy for um, the greater good of humanity, not mm-hmm. for the greater good of uh, corporations, bottom lines. Um, and so that was really the big pivot that, um, that made a difference for me. Did you, did you know that marketing was um, making a withdrawal on your emotional bank or was that um, just something that, that came up as you had time for contemplation? Mm, I love the way you just described that. Um, Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Um, No, it's been, it was something that was brewing for a while and um and yeah, I was kind of searching for different ways to deal with it. And, um, just, I kind of just got real clarity during that time, um, about that, you know, that this life is precious and, and I want to be using it to, um, to help people. And, you know, I've been on a, I've been on a long healing journey for myself and I've learned a lot of tools and I've learned, done a lot of different things and, um, if I can share any of that wisdom with anybody else, um, you know, that's really what I'm passionate about. So what did you land on as a career, I guess, in helping the greater good of humanity? 
Well, um, I'm a life coach um, and I like to work with women who are struggling with codependency issues. Um, and I also wrote a book and um, I also am a Reiki practitioner and soon to be high yoga practitioner. Cool. 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 Well, tear that apart a little bit for me. What is Reiki? Um, Reiki is a, is energy work and it's really, um, from a lineage that is, um, verbal It's an, it's a verbal lineage. So recently, um, there has been, you know, some books published and things like that, but really the way that Reiki has been passed down from generation to generation is through, um, you know, through verbal. And so, um, it's basically a series of symbols that, um, that you get attuned to, that you get to learn if you want to do any kind of Reiki training. And, um, and those symbols allow it to go through you and into the other person. And so I love Reiki because I can do it on myself. I can do it on my cats. I can do it on other people. And the beautiful thing about offering Reiki to someone else is that I get it and they get it. So there's no like, you know, it, it's, it's all good. It's like a win-win-win, I feel like, um, with Reiki. And um, with, with Reiki sessions, I really um, tune into people's chakras. And I, I usually get, um, I'm a very visual person, and um, I usually get um, messages through color of, like, where, where the blockages might be. Um, Sometimes people are really clear and, and I I don't get so many messages, but, um, I have a friend that calls what I do a Reiki reading because I do try to kind of tune into what's happening in, in the body and, um, and, you know, shift based on what I think that the body's telling me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And as a life coach, uh, working with women with codependency, is that, uh, something that you have struggled with yourself? Yes. So, um, before, before I went to Guatemala, um, I had been in a relationship and, um, I broke up with that person and did a lot and realized that they were a narcissist, that they had narcissistic, narcissistic personality disorder. And, um, I spent about six months, like diving deep into learning all about narcissism, right. And, and continuing to kind of like satisfy my need to blame the other person. And explain, explain to us a little bit about what a narcissistic personality is. Okay. So there's something called the DSM five, um, and it basically outlines different mental health disorders. So there's something called the cluster B and within cluster B, uh, you have narcissistic personality disorder, and you also have border, borderline personality disorder. Um, so there, there might be people out there who have narcissistic traits and they don't necessarily have narcissistic personality disorder. Just okay. want to specify that. Um, so there are people who, you know, can do things every once in a while that seem like narcissistic and they might not actually have the disorder. And um, someone that is uh, likely to have 
um, MPD or narcissistic personality disorder is not that likely to seek out treatment. So they're highly underdiagnosed. Um, but, and there's a few different types of narcissists, but in general, um, they have an extremely fragile sense of self and, um, you know, usually, um, you know, usually it's, they've, they've had some kind of hard upbringing where they, during, um, you know, the ages of like between two and seven, when really, um, it's important in our development for our parents to pay a lot of attention to us. They maybe didn't have that. And so they're still kind of seeking that attention. So, um, you know, they often are pretty successful in their careers. Um, they're very manipulative. Um, some things to kind of look out for um, is using the word, but a lot in sentences or um, denying someone's reality. So um, an example of that would be uh, maybe like um, a child on a roof, uh, you know, like on a some kind of uh, height and, and them saying, you know, I'm scared. And maybe a parent telling them, um, no, you're not. So it's like... Um, discrediting their experience and their reality, that's gaslighting. So narcissists generally um, do a lot of gaslighting. They use but a lot in their sentences, which is, um, you know, kind of goes along with some of the gaslighting of maybe agreeing with you and then completely flip side disagreeing with you. Um, There's kind of an insatiable desire to be right, to be correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and so dealing with um, a partner who was a narcissist, how did that bring about the, um, the sense of being codependent? Yeah. So um, really um, they go together. Um, Narcissists and codependents um, are attracted to each other. Um, it's called the human magnet syndrome. Um, there's a, a doctor named Dr. Ross Ro- Rosenberg who coined that term and he wrote a book about it. And he's also, um, a YouTuber. He's fascinating. He has a lot of great information, but, um, yeah, basically the flip side of, of narcissism is, is codependency. So you often find, you know, someone with high narcissistic traits or maybe narcissistic personality disorder is almost always with someone who is codependent. And um, so after kind of realizing that, I did a lot of work to um, heal my own codependency. I went to CODA meetings, which is um, a part of AA. Mm -hmm. They have a codependency um, section and um, really found that helpful. Great free resource, you know, for people. Um, They have some great reading materials. you know, and also just knowing that you're not alone and that there's other people and maybe it been in your own community that you can anonymous, anonymously connect with. Um, and so I started really, um, yeah, looking into, you know, codependency. What is it? Um, how does it show up? What does it look like? And, um, 
And I came up with a plan and a program to help people who might be struggling with that. So Um, answer those questions for us. What is it and how does it show up? So um, someone who suffers from anxiety, um, people pleasing, um, maybe neediness, um, maybe they have feelings that they are invisible, um, endlessly giving um, seekers. So just like the narcissist wants you to believe that they are, you know, the best at whatever they do and um, they use certain tactics to manipulate you to do things for them. The codependent also does. They're just not as successful at it. They might, a a codependent might um, like make cookies for a neighbor with the expectation that when they need milk for their coffee, that that neighbor will now give it to them. And so it's like doing things um, in, in hopes that someone else is going to return that favor. So Mm -hmm. it's like endlessly giving um, people pleasing, doing things for other people so that they might get what they need in return. And so codependents lack boundaries. And that's also why it's such a beautiful fit for narcissists because narcissists also lack boundaries. Um, They often like to, you know, cross other people's boundaries. So someone who doesn't have very good boundaries, um, is a good, you know, it's a a prime target. Right. Yeah. Good definitions. You know, it just uh, brought a story to mind. My uh, two-year-old who is now grown and married, um, she uh, was diagnosed with cancer and uh, we had people that gifted us with great things and, and things to help us out. And somebody had given me a pack of thank you cards so I could write thank yous to other people. Right. And she called me like a week later and was just furious at me. And I was like, what is the deal? And she said, you didn't thank me well enough. You didn't thank me nice enough for the gift that I gave you. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, I think you're expecting something that is beyond what should be. <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't know why that story just popped in my mind, but I thought that's a clear sign right there. <laughs> right. It, it's an, it's yeah. Right. It, it's like um, giving not for the sake of giving, but giving for the idea that there's some kind of return. That's right. Right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your, um, your coaching program. What is that? How do you begin to walk with somebody um, who is a codependent? And do people come to you because they know they have a sense of codependency or just because they know something is askew in their life? Yeah, that is the hardest part. That's the hardest pill to swallow is, is, you know, admitting um, to self that, you know, you are codependent. That's really the biggest struggle. So, um, uh, yeah, I I think there's a lot of people who um, are codependent who don't identify with that word. And, um, and, you know, the way that the way that it works, I, I have three different programs. They're called me, mine and moon. And, um, generally, um, it's a, it starts with a conversation, just, you know, kind of cluing people in into maybe some, um, you know, symbols that they might, you know, might be 
might be codependent, um, kind of getting them to, they need, really need to realize it for themselves. Um, and then, you know, then we can work towards um, being more whole. Um, but, you know, I've worked with people um, helping them, you know, with radical acceptance, I would say, mm. of, um, you know, sometimes our biggest sh- struggles is like judging ourselves, And so um, I've worked with a woman who um, had a disability and was um, able to get some kind of subsidized housing. And she really, you know, and I worked with her through that whole, through the whole process of getting a new apartment and um, applying for this special housing thing credit that she had. And she really was judging herself um, for needing it. And um, that was a big, that felt like a big breakthrough of just, you know, her accepting that, you know, she is who she is and she needs the help that she needs. And, Mm -hmm you know, it's okay. without judgment. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds simple. And, you know, it's when it's something that, um, you know, you face every single day, it can impact everything. Do you think that women struggle with that acceptance more than men? Well, that's a huge question that I feel not that prepared to answer. But, um, you know, generally, I think there's um, that codependency in male female relationships um, has been celebrated for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. You know, how can a woman, um, you know, be dependent on a man? um, And there you have your codependence. Um, So, uh, yes, you know, I, I do think it shows up for men as well. Absolutely. And, um, it's almost been an expectation for women for so many years that, um, it's a, sometimes can be a little harder to see. Right. Right. That makes sense. So have you yourself struggled with, um, besides codependency with mental health challenges in your life? Yeah. So as you know, um, I was diving down the rabbit hole, doing a lot of research about narcissism and about codependency. Um, I also came across uh, borderline personality disorder, BPD, which is also um, part of the cluster B. And um, I was working with a life coach who also is a um, psychotherapist. And I begged her to give me the diagnosis of BPD. And she really didn't want to. And then she asked me uh, some of the questions that, you know, she would ask someone that that has BPD and decided that, yes, I did have it. And she diagnosed me with it. And um, in a way, um, so since then, I've done some I've done some studies. Um, I participated in some studies as a person with BPD. Um, I've read a few books about it and I've really found a lot of comfort Um in the diagnosis of, you know, kind of always, you know, always kind of feeling a little bit um, special or different, even as a kid and having this diagnosis kind of helped me just relax into who I am even further and not be seeking out like what's wrong with me. 
Is it um, almost like somebody somebody knows me? Like, yeah. Yeah. So give us a little um, layman's definition of um, bipolar disorder. Okay. So borderline, sorry. No, thank you. No, everybody says, almost everyone says that it's, it's commonly um, mixed together. So bipolar is a little bit different. um, And um, it's actually in a different cluster even. Um, And BPD, borderline personality disorder is kind of a weird name too. It's like not that clear. The main thing that um, I think shows up for me with borderline is um, it's called black and white thinking. So, um, and I've done a lot of work on this in myself and I, I, um, and again, like having the diagnosis helps me be aware that that's happening and I can like kind of talk myself through it. So for example, with black and white thinking, sometimes, you know, I will make certain judgments that someone is, this is really more in the past, but that someone is like a good person or a bad person. And once I kind of put them in those lanes or in those boxes, it was very hard for them to get out of those boxes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and really like having that understanding for myself, now I'm able to like say, okay, I see that you're, you know, liking that they just said that and you're tending, wanting to put them in the good box and everyone is a range of everything all the time and they're good and bad and there's no such thing as good and bad. And it's, you know, it, it, it's all just whatever it is. So um, black and white thinking is the, is the main, is the main one that I'm thinking of right now. Um, oh, um, also, um it can show up as, so for the DSM-5, um, there's usually 10 criteria for each um, mental health disorder, and you have to have at least, you know, majority of them. Um, something else that shows up for BPD is like uh, random bouts of anger. Um, in my life, I've been taught to suppress my anger. That was how my family dealt with it. And so I've never really been outwardly, like, I'm not a violent person. I've never been outwardly violent or anything like that, but um, I do have suppressed anger and I have lots of tools that I use to deal with that. And um, I just blanked on the other thing I was going to say. But the anger um, is, it kind of burns white hot and quick, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know what it was. Um, it can also show up as like impulsive. Okay. And, um, you know, sponta- spontaneity, impulsive. Um, and it, it can show up as like shopping sprees, like wanting to do shopping sprees. It can be show up as sexual promiscuity. Um, yeah. So those are some of the things that it shows up as. And, um, you know, those are already things that I've been tracking for myself in my life. You know, a couple of years ago, I gave myself a dopamine fast because I thought I was addicted to dopamine and it's, it's, it's all, you know, it's all part of it. Um, but yeah, doing random shopping sprees for things I don't need, or, um, you know, having multiple sexual partners, these are all kind of some things that are characteristic of BPD. 
Yeah. Well, and when I said, you know, you, you feel seen to me, uh, having a diagnosis, uh, of my own mental health was almost like, I'm not the only one. I can't be the only one if somebody else is writing about it. And that was so freeing to me because then I didn't feel like such a freak because, you know, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I, there's a, um, a big book that I have about BPD and I've read, uh, you know, I've read it and just reading people's stories. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like me. That's, you know, and, and yeah, like feeling seen and heard. And now I'm not so, um, like, it's kind of like faded for me. Like, I'm not so like, I need to proclaim this. And I think that the more that we talk about it, the more it's okay for other people to, want a diagnosis or yes, you know, try to seek out what's happening for themselves and, and not be so fearful of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so what part does spirituality play in your life? It's huge. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, pretty much, um, I feel like most of the things that I do, um, are for my spirit. Um, and you know, in, in a culture where we mainly focus on mind and body. Mm -hmm. Um, And. Well, so many of the things you do, uh, have a healing track to them they have a real healing bent bent to them. So that seems to be a part of your, um, your mission. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the way that it, how it feels for me is that, um, my, my grandmothers were both very spiritual people. My, my, my dad's mom was very, very religious. And my mom's mom was, was, palm reader, uh, tea leaf reader, like super spiritual. And I feel like I'm my grandma's daughters, you know, my parents kind of skipped them. They are more into like science and not so much into religion or spirituality. And my mom often calls me Moana. Um, (laughs) you know, I, you know, I, I pray all the time. Um, I, I dance is my main my main thing. It's one of my practices that is kind of a non-negotiable. Um, and when I dance, it's to release things, to let go of things. Um, I often get ideas. I get downloads from, from great spirit. Um, I, you know, I sometimes, you know, feel like this complete alignment of my masculinity and my femininity, which um, is, is what I do believe is the spiritual practice of like recognizing God, goddess in myself and in other people. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm constantly praying. Um, I'm constantly dancing and, um, that's the main ways where kind of, I recognize spirit in my life. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, so you have a book coming out. Yes. Tell us about it. 
so it actually um so it actually started out as um it was going to be a coffee table book called adventures with the pet lady and i wrote that and then i and then i scrapped it and then i wrote a book about codependency and pets and then i scrapped that and it became a memoir about my life and became more honest and became the real stories that i wanted to share about um yeah, just my, my healing journey and, and my path. And um, it's called May All Beings Be Fed. And that really came, the title was born out of a conversation that I had at a retreat center in upstate New York. I was um, on the balcony chatting with um, this, uh, this other person from the retreat about quantum physics. And um, the mosquitoes were eating us. And um uh, he told me that he changed his strategy for mosquitoes to, um, to may all beings be fed, basically allowing them, allowing them to, you know, suck the blood or whatever they do, um, and not having resistance to it. And the resistance is what causes the itchiness and the bug bites. So, um, I've changed my strategy since that day mosquitoes bite, like eat me and I have no bites. I have no itchiness. I have no reaction. And, um, and that's really, um, you know, just kind of been a, a phrase that kind of makes sense for my life of looking at, you know, looking at my past relationships, looking at my past partners, um, you know, also realizing that, I have a pattern of, of dating people that have different um, uh, sociopath or, or narcissistic personality disorders and, and really coming to a place of, yeah, may all beings be fed, may, you know, not hating them, not wanting anything bad for them, really wanting everyone to get what they need so that, you know, we can have less suffering. And it's about being physically, emotionally, spiritually fed, right? It's, it's a 360 view of being fed. Yeah. Yeah. And when does that come out? Um, December 20th, 2021. Okay. So by the time this airs, it will be available. Yeah. So (laughs) it will be available, um, and, and at Amazon, I suppose. Everywhere books are sold. Yeah. Okay. Great. 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 Well, Dana, it has been my honor to, um, be able to talk with you and just hear your perspectives on life. And I just appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.Author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.Author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.